Welcome to the newest conversation at the Review of Democracy. My name is Norman Aselmeyer. I'm a lecturer of modern history at the University of Bremen. I have the pleasure of hosting Professor Andreas Eckert today on behalf of the Review of Democracy. Welcome, Professor Eckert, and thanks a lot for agreeing to this interview and share your ideas and insights with us. It's my pleasure. Glad to have you. Professor Eckert, historian of modern Africa at Humboldt University in Berlin, is one of Germany's leading scholars on African history. Since 2009, he has been the director of the International Research Center on Work and Human Life Cycle in Global History. Throughout his career, he has held fellowships and guest professorships all over the world. He taught and researched at institutions such as Princeton, Harvard, Stanford, Uppsala University, SOAS and others. Andreas Eckert has published numerous books and articles, mainly concerned with the history of labor, colonialism, global history, and the historiography of African history. Today, we will speak about two of his latest books on the history of colonialism and slavery. Professor Eckert, let me start our conversation with a rather personal question. As a historian of Africa, it is unusual to be part of official government delegations. You recently accompanied the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz to Niger, Senegal, and South Africa. And even before that, you have joined German politicians on diplomatic trips. This brings me to my first question. What is your specific role in these missions? And is knowledge of Africa's history gaining political importance at last? Okay, um, what is my specific role on these missions? To be very honest, I'm not sure. Um, some politicians, not all of them, I mean, chancellors or ministers of foreign affairs, um, have delegations when they travel. Others have not. Angela Merkel was known of hardly taking any extra visitors on board when she was traveling, except for some uh, um, businessmen, for instance, when she was going to China or other places that were interesting uh, to, to Germany. The former foreign minister um, uh, and, and current uh, president of Germany, for instance, uh, he, uh, he would take uh, usually delegations, his successors not. So it's always, I mean, very, very uneven. And the role is not really clear. I mean, we were at this trip, a very small delegation consisting of three people, the head of the um, German Foundation for Culture, a German African English writer who won uh, the famous Bachmann Prize a year ago, Sharon uh, Otto, and, and myself. And I'm not really sure how I came to this list and what our role exactly was, was not sure, but we had a kind of special program that is uh, why the others were talking to politicians and entrepreneurs and other people. We visited the Institute, we went to some um, uh, very interesting museums, uh, we met artists and so on and so forth. So I think it's just to show also that Germany is not only interested in kind of hard, the hard currencies of uh, politics and uh, economics, but also in the more kind of soft areas uh, of culture. But exactly what my role there was and, and to what extent this is really an important part of, of some German strategies I'm not sure. Um, I think it's also a, a kind of ritual. And, and um, I'm not sure at all if this has to do uh, with uh, an, uh, an increasing importance of, let's say, historical knowledge, in this case about Africa for German politics. Uh, I'm afraid not. Although 
the more recent debates about German's colonialism and that this is still something that matters today might have kind of changed the attitude a bit. So the idea that, okay, Germany is not an innocent country when it comes to Africa, but also has a past that is, has been characterized by a lot of violence and exploitation. So in one way or the other, Germany has to show that um, the government is conscious uh, of these things. But, but it's, I think it's a small part, one shouldn't exaggerate the importance of this. And it also has to do with the individual politicians, um, both uh, uh, Steinmeier, uh, the former foreign minister for foreign affairs and now Germany's president, and Scholz are known to read books regularly uh, and also history books they have a broader interest and so on and that also has to do probably with the fact that uh, when they when they are traveling uh, that they take uh, some people representing german culture or also uh, representing a certain knowledge about certain issues relevant uh, can uh, can join them but again i mean i think it's something which which shouldn't be uh, over interpreted i think um, the influence of historians on german politics uh, is very limited you, you, it is known that angela merkel for instance invited the famous global historian jürgen osterhammel to speak on her 60th birthday uh, but i'm not very sure and she was also known that she would discuss very often with the political scientist herfried mungler who also wrote about history or the 30 years war for instance uh, but i'm it's very unclear to me to what extent uh, the insights of mungler or osterhammel shaped her ideas or her, her strategies uh, in the political realm so i think one should be rather um, cautious uh, about uh, about the possible influence we historians have uh, on politicians you already mentioned the rising importance of the history of colonialism, which is one of your main areas of work. Back in 2006, you published an introduction to the field under the short title, Colonialism. What was your aim in publishing a book on this topic and how does your approach and how do your conclusions differ from similar publications? Right, I mean, back in 2000, I think four or five, when I signed the contract, um, I mean, colonialism was uh, not as, uh, popular so to speak as today especially in germany it was still something which was slowly emerging or re-emerging as a topic but there was a lot going on in, in the kind of international uh, debate about colonialism i mean a lot of, of of new books have been written new debates were launched and um, coming from african history and really being the story and understanding myself in the story of africa and at the same time starting to get interested in, in global history, I thought that colonialism is a very good kind of context or topic uh, to, to link these two uh, interests. And then, I mean, I, um, I studied journalism. I mean, I, since many years, I, I also write uh, things for, for uh, the press and I do some radio things. So I, I, I always had an interest in disseminating uh, uh, knowledge, um, kind of, of academic knowledge to, to a broader public. And then this book was, was also in a series um, uh, which, which really tried to do this. I mean, really presenting, um, if I may say so, cutting edge 
research insights uh, to, to a broader public. So I think this is a rather demanding genre in many ways. And, and of course, if you have only uh, not more than 150 pages, um, you really have to make choices, which also in many ways is, has a disciplining um, effect. Uh, because you really have to decide what are your main arguments, what do you want to say, how much background or just basic information you have to provide, uh, and, and how much kind of analysis and interpretation uh, you, can, you can bring in. So for me, it was also important to um, present some of the um, debate and why colonialism matters, how widespread it is, especially to, I mean, it was written for a German public mainly, uh, which was not much interested nor had any broader knowledge about colonialism. Just to say, okay, this is really history that matters to many parts of the world, including to us. Uh, this is part of Europe's history, and it's not a very happy history or very positive history in many phases. And that colonialism has very much shaped the world as we have it now. So these were the kind of very broad kind of messages uh, I wanted to convey. And I'm not sure to what extent it differed. I mean, of course, there are always nuances and some emphasize more this and some emphasize more that. I still, I think, try to bring in some economic and social history because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all against the cultural term, but I had the feeling that also many interpretations of colonialism um, looked as if colonialism um, mainly happened in the heads of people and in their fantasies and their imaginations. I mean, colonialism, after all, was a rather down-to-earth um, machine of exploitation, uh, although not as powerful as some interpretations uh, suggest. But still, I mean, it has very much a social and economic side, and I wanted also to emphasize, uh, emphasize this. So this might, especially at a time in the, in the 2000s, when the cultural term was really at its height in some ways, also to try to provide a more balanced picture or interpretation of colonialism that includes uh, um, the fact that uh, the economic interest, as unsuccessful as they often were in the end, but that the economic interest uh, and the economic transformations that colonialism brought um, were very important. As you already mentioned, the book is written for a broader audience and already embraces the challenges and potentials of the global turn in history. On the very first pages, we remark that the growing emphasis on interconnectedness and interdependence stands for the insight that the emergence of the modern world can be interpreted as a shared history. May I ask you what you exactly mean by shared history? And is there not a danger in such a view that power imbalances are obscured? You are right, and and uh, I think I wouldn't use shared history now. Um, at the time, it, it, it seemed to be uh, an interesting concept to emphasize that um, while we all agree probably that Europe as colonial power uh, very much shaped um, uh, the history of Africa, of Asia, and of Latin America, the fact that uh, the history of color, or the fact that, that most European countries or all European countries in one way or the other were involved in the colonial project also shaped the histories at home. At that time, it was, I think, an important insight. We can't understand uh, our history without uh, taking into consideration 
the fact that uh, colonialism kind of um, uh, shaped what was going on in Europe. But shared sound as if, uh, uh, I mean, it was kind of orderly uh, uh, shared in a way that um, we, um, we are at the same level. So, so shared history, first of all, seems to be something that now uh, Europe graciously uh, allows the others to share a, a common history. But also, I think it's too nice because it, 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 uh, it, it underestimates uh, the hierarchies, which are still existing also in the interpretation of this history. So I think I wouldn't use this term again. And as you, as you rightly said, um, it, it obscured really uh, power hierarchies. I think we have to, to, to think um, these histories uh, in, in one common research agenda, so to speak. But it doesn't mean that, that um, this is a history that is shared. Um, so again, I mean, this is this is something that um, has to be reconsidered, especially because the shared history is now still very much used, for instance, in the whole debate about uh, the looted objects and so on. And then and, and the, the, the foreign ministry um, uh, organized some one and a half years ago a conference in Berlin on shared history. And one of the keynote speakers from Africa then very harshly deconstructed this term as a very imperialist and very arrogant uh, concept of rethinking the relations between, uh, in this case, Germany and its former colonies. Talking of recent debates, I would like to come to my next question. When I reread your book on colonialism, I was struck by how timely your last chapter was. There you reflect on the contemporary relevance of colonialism and observe that, and I quote from the chapter, the thesis of colonial genocides troubles the idea of the singularity of the Holocaust. For more than a year, a dispute has been raging over German memory politics, which has already been dubbed Historiker Streit 2.0, Historians Dispute 2.0, May I ask you to reflect on the relationship between the remembrance of the Holocaust and the remembrance of colonial crimes? Why has the debate become so tense? Well, this is, of course, a very complex uh, question. I mean, two things. At, at that time, um, uh, when I wrote it, the debate, there was just we were just in the middle of the debate about the genocide or what most historians would call genocide and uh, what was then uh, at the time German Southwest Africa and now Namibia, uh, and especially Jürgen Simmerer, but also others, um, kind of brought up the idea that there's a link between uh, this genocide uh, and the Holocaust. I mean, um, Jürgen Simmerer then had this book, although he put a question mark on it, from Windhoek to Auschwitz. So, but, but at least this idea came up. Uh, and it, although at that time not explicitly, but of course it related then to um, uh, earlier interventions, especially by Africans or, or, or African Americans or, or people from the Caribbean about colonialism. Um, the famous um, insight by M. E. Césaire, who said in his book on colonialism, was published for the first time in the 19. 50s and then has been translated, I think, in 68 also into German, but didn't really uh, get the kind of tendons it, it deserved. He said that what um, 
white people uh, can't forgive Hitler is uh, uh, not, not so much. Or is is mainly the fact that he did with white people uh, what Europeans usually do with black people. And I mean, he, he put it uh, slightly differently, but that was the main idea and the same uh, uh, du Bois wrote um, after also he had visited uh, Warsaw uh, um, after the war uh, that I mean this is of course for 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 a black person um, as terrible as this is is not really new. Uh, of course now some people have accused uh, Césaire and Du Bois of uh, relativizing uh, the Holocaust and here we are already in the middle uh, of the debate. Uh, the question is. Um, to what extent uh, the Holocaust is unique or to what extent it can be compared to other crimes and to what extent um, um, I think the, 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 the memory politics can both include the Holocaust and colonial crimes and to what extent uh, also taking colonial uh, uh, violence and crimes and, and genocides um, into the picture to what extent it would automatically relativize uh, the Holocaust. And I think there is um, a very, this is a very specific German debate also. And as some well, one, one Israelian historian said, I mean, the, the, the Germans, I mean, first they killed all the Jews and now they tell everyone how to uh, think uh, about antisemitism. Um, and I think so too. I mean, I see that uh, there is a danger of um, making the Holocaust as one crime among others. Uh, on the other hand, from the perspective of, and this is, I think, is wrong. Uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, I also think that from the perspective of many people in other parts of the world, the Holocaust does not have this kind of uh, dimension as it has and rightly has uh, in Germany. And I think. Part of the issue is that there were so many difficulties uh, to really, in a way, contextualize the Holocaust and just take into consideration that the German view on it uh, is not necessarily the global view on it. And I also have the feeling that so many people only very recently were confronted for the first time with the fact that colonialism produced uh, a lot of crimes. Uh, and um, I sometimes had the feeling that this kind of very harsh reaction to efforts to, I mean, like Michael Rothberg and so on, this kind of um, ideas to draw a picture of, of very complex memory constellations, the harsh rejection of these uh, ideas also had to do with the fact that people were suddenly confronted with something they, they have never heard of. Uh, and at least implicitly realizing that they maybe also missed a lot of important debates, but instead of saying, okay, yeah, it's something to really rethink it, they harshly rejected this idea as anti-Semitic and anti-Israel and so on. And again, of course, one has to distinguish also between anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. Sometimes these things go together, uh, but not, uh, uh, not all the time. And the way Israel is seen by many countries in the global south, at least we have to um, take this into consideration uh, and uh, not always kind of confuse uh, these two elements. So I think there's a lot, I mean, there are a lot of uh, 
ideological battles going on. Also about the fact, I mean, who really has the right about what kind of memory is the right one. Um, so I, I must say, I found this debate uh, um, on the one hand important, on the other hand also rather depressing because it, it, it was really, in the end, often on both sides. I mean, there was so little effort to to at least understand why, how the other side ticks, uh, so to speak. And we will see. I mean, I think that uh, in the middle run, um, colonial crimes will become also part uh, of what we consider as a kind of part of our memory of, of violence uh, and genocide, but it won't put uh, the Holocaust aside or relativize it. I think that's what I hope will be the outcome. And this kind of, of more complex uh, uh, memory landscape, I think, is also very much representing uh, uh, the, the world we are living in, which also in Germany now is not purely German, but Germany is more and more becoming uh, a, a country with people from, from very different parts of the world with very different histories uh, and very different ideas about what should be uh, remembered. We are in the middle or even at the beginning uh, of this process. And um, this is a process which, yeah, implies a lot of, of, of harsh, harsh debates. But on the other hand, I think that it might, uh, might calm down or at least uh, kind of uh, normalize itself uh, uh, in the course of the next years. But, but I, I, I don't know. I must say, I was rather surprised by the really, uh, I mean, you could say rhetoric violence uh, implied in it. Um, maybe it's also to do with, with, with the COVID pandemic, which, which led uh, to the fact that people had so much time writing on Twitter and doing other things that they also, I mean, and, and then there was so little um, opportunity to really talk. So people wrote and exchanged uh, via screens and that might have added uh, uh, to uh, to the to the harshness of the debate, although the harshness would have been there anyway. Uh, so I don't will uh, don't want to say that Corona made this debate possible, but I think it added slightly to the to me rather surprising harshness uh, and, and 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 negative dynamics uh, of it all. Looking at it from the distance, I think for historians especially, it's a very interesting debate. Uh, because it tells us a lot about, I mean, that 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 the uh, fights over 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 memory, I mean, are really uh, important, and 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 who tries to to be the champion, and who tries to uh, say what is right and what is wrong, and how this is contested and by whom, uh, and sometimes I think that uh, some white men couldn't stand the fact that they're suddenly criticized. Uh, it sounds a bit stereotypical by, by colored women who challenged uh, uh, their view of how we have to think uh, about the past. That was also, I think, part uh, of, um, of the debate. And the way, I mean, one, could, one can criticize, as you remember, at many levels, uh, but this very arrogant tone towards him uh, by, by journalists and some scholars was rather 
telling uh, in a way. So there is still a lot to be done uh, uh, as far as this is concerned. You already said this is a very German debate, but what I found interesting in this debate is that it was started by an intervention by a foreigner or by somebody who's familiar with Germany, but who's, uh, who's not a German himself. And it reminded me of uh, other debates in Germany and on historical issues. For example, the debate on the Sonderweg, which was also somewhat disturbed by an intervention by uh, British scholars, by George Elley and David Blackburn. And is it that like people who, are, who don't stay in Germany see our debates with a different eye? Obviously they do. But what, what does it inspire that foreigners uh, have this potential of uh, interfering with German debates and starting even, even bigger debates? I mean, I think this is not untypical. I mean, just um, think about France. Uh, I forgot his name, this, uh, uh, this American historian who wrote about Vichy uh, and, and very much deconstructed uh, the view the common view that, I mean, most of France consists of resistance fighters, then there were some nasty, a small group of nasty right-wingers and so on. So I think that, that, that sometimes you have to come from the outside to speak truth to power in a specific way. And I think here, yeah, I also think, to be very honest, I mean, at least Achille Bembe, I mean, he was in Germany, but he was not at all uh, familiar uh, with uh, these this German debates. Uh, and I think he was totally surprised and also upset about the way things happened and, and, and which kind of corner uh, he was put. But in general, yes, um, I think um, it, it also in a way facilitates uh, the debate because you can easily start by saying, oh, these are people from, from somewhere else who really don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, that, that was what, uh, what was um, said about Bembe, that, that if he is in Germany, uh, I mean, he, he can't just say anything. He has also to take into consideration uh, our German perspective. And I think this is the kind of uh, typical uh, statement in this respect. So yes, I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's typical that, that um, a debate which was already around a bit was then suddenly triggered by someone from the outside. But but I think this is often uh, the way it works. And also then someone like Dirk Moses, who is much more familiar uh, with German politics and culture than Achille Bembe, for instance. Uh, so so Dirk uh, uh, knew much better how to, where, where to put the nail. Uh, and and, and he, he was very better prepared to the responses. Although I think he was also then uh, surprised by how massive uh, the responses to his provocations uh, were. But he, unlike Bembe, uh, he also wrote this initial paper meant as a provocation. While Bembe was um, just someone read his stuff or pretended that he read his stuff, I think someone told him. Or, and then this a kind of minor politician from North Rhine-Westphalia, who was, was completely unimportant, but then uh, for a short while uh, appeared in the media. Now everyone has forgotten who he is. Uh, and, and he triggered this kind of thing. So that was different because Bembe never wrote something uh, in order to contribute uh, to, to German memory debates. He was drawn into it and then made uh, the villain uh, suddenly. So I think it was a different situation and the roles of 
non-German actors uh, uh, in the whole debate uh, uh, differed quite a lot. Returning to your book on colonialism, if you were to revise uh, your book that you wrote in 2006, what would you change or ask differently? What has happened in the study of colonialism since then? What are the main debates in the field today? Oof, I think, uh, I mean, the whole issue about uh, colonial violence uh, really is much more at the center than it used to be. I think I would also much more emphasize um, the issue of racism. I mean, it, it's in the book, but, but it, it became much more prominent. Um, of course, I mean, the whole thing about the looted objects and then this whole dimension is completely out of my book. Uh, and this is in many ways, especially in Germany, it has become a main tool uh, to open up uh, the debate about colonialism to a broader public. I would still emphasize even more uh, the economic dimension um, of, of, uh, uh, of colonialism. So it wouldn't be a radical revision, uh, uh, but I would just emphasize some points more uh, uh, than I had to. Um, so, so in this way, I, th I think the debate about colonialism, also, I mean, about colonialism, one point is, of course, um, is there one colonialism? Are there many colonialisms? Uh, to what extent we also have to be much more specific about uh, what we mean when we talk about a colonial situation. Is it uh, the same everywhere? Um, and so, so these kind of things. But, 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 but I think um, uh, we don't see so much very new conceptual ideas about colonialism, but we see in a lot of new topics and new dimensions. Uh, and there's much more uh, literature around, I mean, just in order to, to, to understand different facets of uh, different aspects of colonialism. So, so our knowledge is in many ways much more thicker uh, empirically. And on the other hand, yes, I mean, um, the whole thing about memory of colonialism. I think this is something that now plays uh, such an important role and, and, and also then again related to monuments, for instance, um, and, and so on. I think uh, the roads must fall uh, campaign. I mean, in 2005-06, there was nothing uh, about this. And now we have a huge debate. I mean, street names at this time were already a bit uh, around, but now, I mean, it has become uh, a very important issue. Uh, on the other hand, to be very honest, I would still emphasize that it is important to look at colonialism also, or what had happened in the colonies. To my mind, there's too much of a metropolitan-centered historiography on colonialism, in which the colonized uh, often only appear as collective subjects, uh, or as a kind you know, of, of objects of, of colonial fantasies, uh, in a way. And I think this is important that we don't forget uh, that colonialism not only, I mean, no, I think in, in a way, uh, this, this then new insight that colonialism shaped the metropoles now, now became the kind of center uh, of many colonial histories. And I think we, it sounds a bit odd, uh, should bring, we should bring also colonialism back uh, to the colonies in a certain way. What I did in this book uh, quite a bit, and this I would really emphasize also as a more conceptual, a historiographical point.
I would like to turn now to your latest book, The History of Slavery from Antiquity to the 21st Century, which was published last year. You argue that the institution of slavery, quote, was the norm, not the exception, throughout much of world history and remains so today, unquote. What sparked your initial interest in slavery? And may I add another question? What are the key questions historians are debating today on this important topic? I mean, my initial interest, uh, uh, strangely enough, came through my interest in labor history. Uh, and and uh, I was directing for, for, for 12 years an international research center on global labor history. Uh, and uh, over the years, we also had uh, quite a few historians working on slavery. And the question of unfree versus free labor was always around. Um, and, and, I, and I realized, or, or I could observe, that, that numerous historians of slavery now began also to understand themselves as historians of labor, because labor was very much at the heart uh, of slavery, though you, although you can't interpret slavery exclusively uh, uh, around the concept of labor. So that was my interest. Uh, and this whole issue about free and unfree and how to divine slavery is a kind of general definition of slavery possible or not, and, and how much we also have to take into consideration the variety of practices and also ideological uh, dimensions of it. And then, I mean, working on Africa, where, where, where slavery was very often exclusively treated uh, through the history of the slave trade. So I also became interested in, in, in the varieties of slavery and different slave trades on all the Atlantic, but many others in Africa. And then I also could see that there was not very much uh, on the German book market again. Uh, so it was also uh, maybe my, um, how should I say, my temperament as a mediator or journalist to say, okay, I mean, this is this is such a broad uh, literature and, and um, this is also a, a global history topic par excellence because it really goes through times and space, like very few other topics. Uh, and it is related uh, to labor. Uh, and Africa plays an important role in it. Um, so that was that were the kind of in ingredients uh, 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 to really uh, uh, write this um, write this book. Um, and again, I mean, it was e even more complicated than writing a book on colonialism because, here, I mean, I had really to, to cover grounds that I'm not too familiar with. I mean, of course, slavery plays a huge role in ancient history, but there's now a, a new emerging literature also um, on parts of the world I don't know at all, but I mean, now that slavery has been really widespread in parts of Europe and in, in, in Asia and so on and so forth. So it was for me also a huge learning process. Um, but that was the main idea also because um, uh, like colonialism, the memory of slavery uh, and, and the question to what extent slavery still shapes uh, uh, the life or, or the, the, the long shadow of slavery still shapes the life of so many people. Um, uh, and of course, I wrote um, the book in the summer of 2020. Uh, when Black Lives Matter uh, uh, and, and, and other um, uh, movements again uh, uh, got a lot of importance. And, 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 and the fact that racism is still so much 
uh, there in so many parts of the world. And racism is often related uh, to the history of slavery. So I think there were enough reasons uh, uh, to, um, to look at it from a broader uh, historical perspective. And, and I was uh, positively surprised uh, about the uh, the, the 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 reaction to that, I mean, and 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 that people got interested, in, especially because it was a book that did not only look at a kind of very specific aspect of it, but really tried to 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 offer a, a broader uh, uh, overview about the many dimensions of slavery. I think um, that that uh, that caught uh, the interest of, of of many readers and most. Um, reactions I got came from people who were kind of school teachers or just interested in this kind of history or trying to make sense uh, of the historical dimensions of what they see is happening today. So um, uh, it was a rather, I think, timely uh, intervention. I don't understand myself as a specialist in this, on slavery, but I mean, I worked on, on, on many topics uh, earlier uh, in my life that where slavery was always around. Uh, uh, so it, it, it was also very useful to, to bring all these different strands uh, together. You mentioned the long uh, shadow of slavery. Uh, and that brings me to my next question, uh, which I have always wondered about. I'm a historian of East Africa, and I've wondered why slavery plays such an important role in memory politics and historiography in some regions and in others it doesn't. Uh, and you write in the book that the slave trade in East Africa, for example, in the Indian Ocean outnumbered the transatlantic slave trade. Can you explain why it, uh, slavery, for example, doesn't play a bigger role in the memory politics and historiography of East Africa, for example, and in other regions, it has become so important as a topic? I mean, it, the fact that it became so important, especially uh, in the context of the Atlantic, has, of course, also to do with uh, who had, I mean, has to do with the sources, first of all, but has also to do with um, kind of, of political groups or individuals or collectives that were able to to voice certain concerns about it. I mean, the fact that we have a rather distinguishable groups of slaves and former slaves uh, who were forced uh, uh, to travel from Africa to the Americas, and especially to North America, uh, where we then have emerging group of of, of African Americans uh, that also then started to think about the history and and also to what extent. I mean. Um, slavery continued to shape their lives, uh, especially the group then after the abolition um, of the slave trade and the, and the continuation uh, of racism and, and exploitation. Um, and, and it's very difficult to find these groups in many other parts of the world. I mean, if you look at the trans-Saharan slave trade, I mean, somehow people disappeared as a distinguishable group. You find them here, there, and everywhere, but it's very difficult also to, 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 to develop a kind of, 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 of broader consciousness and, and, and also broader political movements. So I think it has to do also with the specific constellations of the transatlantic slave trade uh, that, uh, first of all, there was a group of people who voiced concerns about it. And also we have a very specific situation in the way uh, sources are available. 
Uh, and slavery shaped, I mean, the United States, for instance, I mean, one of the most important democracies uh, 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 in the world, which at the same time, is one of the most racist countries in the world. And I think this tension also, uh, in a way, helped uh, to put slavery on the agenda, while in other parts, it's much more, in a way, discreet. You have not that many pressure groups who really bring that uh, to the fore. Um, it's changing a bit, uh, but again, I mean, probably more uh, on the scholarly side where we know, I mean, now the Indian Ocean is really uh, gaining ground uh, in slavery historiography, and we have a lot of new and exciting work about this region. But as a political issue, uh, it is not that, uh, that visible. Uh, again, I think because it has to do, I mean, it has to do with the fact that the United States are, uh, play such an important role in the Atlantic slave trade. Although, I mean, many more slaves went to Brazil, for instance, than to the United States or to, to, the, to the Caribbean. But still, I think uh, then it has also to do with, with, with politics, but also um, 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 the, the, the emergence of, of, of an academic infrastructure and so on and so forth. So I think there are reasons why the transatlantic slave trade and slavery in the Atlantic world is so much more visible and prominent uh, and debated. Uh, on the other hand, I think my book also wanted to emphasize that we shouldn't uh, take slavery, especially in the United States, as a kind of model. I mean, it was a, in many ways a very exceptional uh, form of slavery compared to the many others. Um, so we, are, we have this kind of, 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 in a way, dilemma or tension that when people here think about slavery at all, they think about Gone with the Wind, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and, 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 and movies, 12 Years a Slave, and so on. Uh, uh, while this is, in many ways, not slavery uh, as it was experienced and uh, conceptualized, so to speak, uh, in most other parts of the world where we have slavery. Before moving to another field that you work on, which is global history, I would like to ask a last question on the history of slavery, uh, which is a question about methodology. How does one write the history of slavery? What pitfalls and difficulties did you encounter in writing the book? A lot. I mean, first, as I already mentioned, I mean, there's such a huge array of literature. And also, I mean, slavery and the slave trade, I think, represent nearly all kinds of historiography you can imagine. I mean, so many different methods. I mean, the numbers game and all these people who are counting slaves and working on the data sets and so on. You have really the effort to um, reconstruct life histories uh, of individual slaves um, um, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, just the, the sheer methodological uh, variations and approaches are already um, a real challenge. Uh, the other um, points, of course, are that you, you um, although one could say, okay, slavery is one theme, so many uh, um, different, um, usually separate historiographies. I mean, there are very few historians. I mean, I think Moses Finley was one as an ancient historian of slavery who also dared to venture into other uh, regions uh, and periods, but usually uh, in a historian working on, let's say, slavery in, in, in ancient Rome would never write about uh, 
slavery in, in East Africa or so. Uh, so just uh, to confront this literature and making sense of it and doing in a way justice to it uh, was a real challenge with a lot of pitfalls on your way. I mean, you can easily misinterpret uh, things. It's sometimes difficult to really get a grasp of, of, of the controversies around and, 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 and why maybe some argument is more convincing than the other if you do not really know uh, uh, the, the broader context of this field. So I think this was something where I felt often rather insecure uh, about it. And then also, I mean, what, what kind of, 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 I mean, in a way, definition of slavery or how you explain also why slavery is, um, how should I say? I mean, there, there's this nice, I mean, the, 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 it, slavery is difficult to define, but you know it when you see it. Um, sometimes like this, but how, how, to, how to express this uh, in a book, because um, people were, okay, there's a book about slavery, so what, what is slavery exactly? And, and just saying, okay, it's not really possible to give a definition, definition that works at all times and spaces, but it's also a very fluent category, and you have to, um, in a way, show how, how the category uh, shifts, and, and, and then also through the shifts, the, the, the way what we consider as slavery or not might differ. So, so, so just uh, to, to work with this complexity, but again, not then shifting into a very methodological uh, conceptual discussion. Um, this I found really, really extremely uh, difficult. And then just again, I mean, making choices. Uh, um, what, what is needed, uh, how do I mix the kind of, of broader debates about, let's say, numbers, um, about economic interests in the slave trade, about forms of slavery in different parts of the world, uh, how can I integrate also individual stories uh, in it. So I think these are, these are in a way, normal uh, challenges when you write uh, a book on such a huge topic. Um, but then I, I often thought, okay, uh, if I now have 140 pages or 500, it wouldn't change much. I mean, the the um, the challenges are are more or less uh, uh, the same. So on the other hand, I think it's it's a good, um, uh, very good exercise in really trying to make a decision what is now important, uh, and 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 to to really. Um, or should I say it? Uh, um, uh, yeah, um, making a point about it, what counts or what matters, uh, and what is maybe uh, not less important, but doesn't fit into the, the story I want to tell. And of course, I mean, there are a lot of omissions. Um, and um, um, some people have criticized uh, the fact that there are the, the, that you get not really a, a sense of, of how how slaves lived and then what it meant uh, to be a slave. And I see that, but on the other hand, uh, uh, I, I try to insert some of these stories, but for many, uh, it's not enough. Because now we have, of course, uh, uh, quite, a, quite a bit on the daily lives of slaves, or at least uh, the kind of how they managed to survive and so on and so forth. And it's true, there's not that much in that book, because I opted in, in, in right to cover 
uh, a number of uh, of topics um, at the expense of too many life stories. But that is an individual decision, and others would have done otherwise. Besides being a historian of Africa, you are also a well-known scholar of global history in Germany and have dealt extensively with questions of global history in your books. May I therefore ask you how you see the current state of the field? Has the field, as Jeremy Edelman asked in 2017, already had its moment? It had uh, a certain moment, but uh, I, I wouldn't say that this moment is gone or that global history is now in decline or something, not at all. I think there's a certain, how should I say, routinization of it and, and, and the early probably excitement uh, about it uh, is a bit gone, but I see it as a as a, a rather good way. I mean, there's still a lot of people uh, working on global history and now we are probably more in the, in the, in the bread and butter phase. That is a huge, more conceptual or ideological uh, battles are, are done, or at least for the moment. And now people try out and, and, and see how, how they can employ uh, global perspectives on a number of topics. So, so it didn't disappear. And if you still, I mean, if you see global is still around quite a bit. What also, I mean, came in, in, into uh, the picture and, and Jeremy Edelman's paper, of course, is, is, is putting uh, its finger on it, is, of course, also the pitfalls uh, of global history. I mean, um, but this, again, I mean, uh, Edelman mentioned things that have been discussed already earlier. I mean, that it is exclusively Anglophone and, and that there's a very, very limited view often uh, on the historiography, also on the sources that are available. Um, the fact that um, um, there is this fetish of mobility in a way that, I mean, suddenly all the people are interested that travel around, that move around, and others are uh, kind of, of getting out of the picture. These are all things that have been criticized already earlier. So in many ways, um, Edelman, I think also um, very much having the situation in the United States and Trump on his agenda, I think summarized what has been already uh, criticized. So I don't see um, that now suddenly um, global history is, is, is kind of uh, dissolving from inside because people said, oh God, what, what have we done? And then maybe we have exaggerated. So, so I, I think um, uh, that the current state of the subject is, uh, is, is fine, uh, that more and more positions of the few positions, I mean, at least, no, there, there's, there's hardly any position that is um, announced um, or on offer, which is exclusively on German or French history. So there's always a global, component uh, part of it. So in many ways, I think uh, global history has made its way into the uh, historiographical agenda. And now we, we will see, I mean, it's a bit like social history or gender history and so on. I mean, these things become part of the normal historiographical routine in a way. And I think there's no need, no people feel the need to flag it out uh, all the time. Yes, there are also voices who think, oh, yes, now uh, um, uh, um, there's a good opportunity uh, for global history bashing. 
but um, I don't think that this is really um, neither helpful nor very successful. Uh, so by and large, I think the the the, the kind of, of super exciting years are maybe over, uh, but global history is still very much very much around, and I'm not too uh, skeptical about its future. It will it it, it is, has become in many um, parts of the world an established part of the historiography. Um, um, that might change again, so there's no guarantee. Uh, um, but even I don't see that now the kind of new nationalisms or what people already claim as the end of globalization or something will um, will affect global history in a way because globalism in many ways is exactly the perspective to explain also why globalization is now seen as something that is coming to an end and and global history also am, always emphasized the importance of the nation state was just arguing against taking the nation state as a kind of unquestioned historiographical framework to work on whatever topic. So I've, I'm, 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 I'm quite relaxed about, uh, uh, about the future of this field. My last question concerns what you termed the pitfalls of global history. Uh, the practice of global history is dominated mostly by universities in the so-called Western world. African historians have been hesitant to take up the approach and have rarely participated in debates in the field. How do you explain this apparent imbalance? William Ochiang, a famous Kenyan historian, wrote in the early 70s that the colonial education system had taught him, I quote, to regard only European activities in the world as history, unquote. Is global history reintroducing the European as the main actor? Is there a certain tendency in global history to explain African history in terms of the outsider again? I see this, uh, that there is this danger. And um, I also know and, and face a lot of skepticism in Africa uh, about global history at, at two levels. Um, the first is, again, that um, many uh, African colleagues complain that if African history enters global history, it's mainly through the slave trade. Uh, so it's always kind of then in a way um, um, uh, re-emphasizing this picture of Africa as a continent um, of the slave trade and safe trade, and they're also providing a very uh, limited uh, picture uh, on Africa. Um, and the other, and it's, the other is the, the other critique. Uh, is a mix. I mean, there's a critique that um, um, global history, for instance, um, um, de-emphasizes the importance of the local and also the, the, the knowledge of languages and other things that goes with this knowledge uh, so that um, it's something that is done without really uh, um, taking into consideration the local dimensions of history and, and, and what goes with it. Um, but also that global history is something that um, is, is, is uh, how should I say, um, a perspective or a historiographical practice that most Africans simply can't afford. Um, because it implies uh, um, archives in many parts of the world, depending on the topic. Um, uh, and it's very much an agenda that that came uh, from the outside and is now in a way um, 
kind of 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 of, of taking as a gold standard or emphasize as a gold standard and those who can't um, afford to have this global history credibility are suddenly backward or, 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 or not part of the game. So I think um, this is something that, that uh, Africanists and African historians are very worried about, uh, that, that this new uh, research agenda is something that, again, excludes them uh, from um, kind of mainstream historiography. And there's something uh, true about it. I mean, just, I mean, I think Gene Allman some 10 years ago wrote a very interesting article in the American Historical Review. It was about, it was about a more specific topic, but, but part of her story was about how to write post-colonial Ghanaian history. And, and she argued quite convincingly that, of course, it's not enough now to just go as in classic uh, historiographical works to the archives of the former colonial power that's in London uh, and to the National Archives in Ghana. I mean, this post-colonial material, so to speak, is here, there, and everywhere. It's in Munich, it's in Beijing, it's in Geneva, it's in New York, and so on. And this is something, so, so even if you want to write a classic conventional national history of Ghana uh, after independence, uh, uh, as, a, as a Ghanaian historian, it's very difficult to do it. Uh, within the framework of, of the new historiography, but so much emphasizes also entanglements and, and uh, uh, connections to other parts of the world, because also the sources you can use reflect uh, these entanglements. Um, so I think this is a real um, uh, problem which brought uh, not only historians of Africa, but also of South Asia, for example, to be rather, to have a rather critical stance uh, uh, on global history, because there is a feeling, and, and it's difficult to belittle this, there is really the feeling that this is an agenda which was born in Western, mainly United States universities, uh, and has been made a kind of gold standard uh, that, again, excludes uh, a large number of historians in these parts of the world um, from being a serious part uh, of the historiographical mainstream and reduces them again uh, to people who provide some colorful details uh, to, the, to the grand narrative that others are writing. Professor Eckert, thank you very much for the conversation. Most welcome, thank you. Mm -hmm.